0: Hello and welcome to the Football Diary podcast where we've got something a bit different for us this week. We're starting off the back of a forgetful international window with diving straight into Premier League issues. And the main talking point right now, of course, is Everton and the points deduction that has put them in the relegation zone, at least for now. And although we obviously feel very opinionated on it ourselves, we thought it'd be better to get a better perspective on the club and their current plight anyway. So I'm joined by Mike who has come in from the Unholy Trinity podcast. Thanks for joining me today, Mike.
1: No problem at all. Glad to, I say glad to be here. Yeah. I'm <laughs> not really, but um, we'll, we'll get into, into the reasons why in a minute.
0: Yeah, maybe it would have been nicer to talk under different circumstances with a bit of an upturn in form, but we'll come to that. We will get to talk about how the season's going for you so far later on. First of all, mate, there are plenty of people that will listen to this or watch this that won't be exactly aware of, what it is that Everton have done wrong, supposedly, and why this deduction has happened? Can you try and sum that up for us? What's what's the situation at Everton right now?
1: Well, effectively, the the charge, the one charge, obviously was was breaching what some might term as financial fair play, what others might ter- might term as profits and sustainability rules and regulations of the Premier League. Either way, Everton have gone over this one hundred and five million pound three year. Um, Loss figure, which is which is the big the big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Everton initially said we haven't, and here's why we haven't. Everton have worked with the Premier League for the last two two and a half years to ensure that we didn't. We knew we were tight, and we said, "Listen, you know we are tight. Can you give us a bit of support?" The Premier League mm-hmm. agreed. Uh, we 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 couldn't buy, you know, a sheet of paper without putting it through the Premier League first <laughs> of all. So we decided to be transparent with them. Um it then came to pass that the Premier League then decided that we were going to refer us to this independent commission because they believe we had breached this £105 million figure. Mm. Um, and that, that's why we went to this, this commission. And it was decided there. Everton then said, we hold our hands up. Um, we believe that there has been a breach but we don't believe it's by £19.5 million, pounds, which is what the Premier League have been quoting. Mm. We believe it's around £7.9 million. Pounds. And it seems to stem, from Everton's perspective, from incest payments on a new stadium at Bramley Mall, yeah uh, and also this this transfer levy on, on young players as well. So Everton yeah. seems to feel that we've been massively hard done to. And, and the, the reason being as well, you know, that the goalposts have moved as well, which, which we'll dive into to, to, to put more meat on the boat. But basically... You know, for, for the layman to understand, and I, I include myself in that, we've mm. literally reached this £105 million loss figure over three years, and, and that's yeah. why we went to the, uh, to the commission.
0: Yeah, and that seems like such a small amount when you consider the kind of money that we're talking about within this current market. And I think neutrals and outsiders looking in on it, look at a club that has had some pretty interesting transfer business over the last couple of years, it's safe to say, quite high turnover in managers that will have ultimately resulted in a lot of payoffs. And then, of course, you mentioned the new stadium. Is this a case of just very poor money management from the owners or do you think there's bigger things at play that aren't really supporting the club from the Premier League down, maybe?
1: I think, I mean, let, let's get it right. You know, th- these rules were brought in to protect a certain number of clubs. That, that, that's mm. that, that's the, the the honest truth. That's always mm. been the case. It means that sides you want to try and break through into that top six you probably say top seven now. Newcastle might have joined the party, but that remains to be seen if that can be that can be prolonged. But those those six sides, historically, it was to to protect them because before they were brought in, that's when City got the money, that's when Chelsea got the money. Then these rules the, these rules and regulations came in, so it protects certain teams. So it's very difficult for sides below there who don't have the same kind of revenue. By the way, mm. so you don't don't allow their owner to actually put money into the business. It's the only business in the world. Where the owner can't actually put money into the business <laughs> as much as they want to do, um, so that, that's that, that's obviously a big issue. So from a a protection elements, the protection is not there for people outside of or clubs outside of certain teams. Um, there's certainly been mismanagement, of course. You know, everyone will have seen we've been we've been protesting against the board, against the mm. owner, for yeah. for many 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 months, uh, some some beyond that. So it's not as if you know, fans have sat there thinking everything's rosy in the garden because it's it's been there's been a lot of a lot of mistakes made. Whether it be unbelievably poor players that have been bought on the pitch, whether it have be been really poor business decisions made off the pitch, mm. whether it have be been an employing people who we felt weren't quite up to the job off the pitch as well, or also a major factor. Many many things, but I think when Farhad Nishiri came in, which a lot of people like to go back to because it fits the narrative of this story. Everton splits a lot of money on absolute garbage. you bought players that were just not good enough. For, mm-hmm. I'm not, I don't even just mean for Everton, I just mean in general. They weren't yeah. even playing any players half the time or they, they they weren't players that were getting played in the right position. They were players mm-hmm. who were coming from, from outside of the, the English game who needed time to adjust and they were never going to get that time. So mm-hmm. a lot of things have gone wrong. So it's a combination of Everton making mistakes but also, the Premier League have not protected Everton after us being so transparent. Mm. And in my opinion, all it will save to do now is we'll put put off other clubs who are in similar positions. I know Wolves are going through a similar thing now, mm. but other clubs will not be as transparent with the Premier League. And they just mm. start hiding things because why, why bother being honest and saying, listen, try and work us and help us out yeah. when all that happens is we get referred to a commission anyway and we lose 10 points.
0: Yeah, and I think that brings me on nicely to kind of looking at why this is happening to Everton in particular. We obviously know there's an ongoing investigation into Manchester City where we're talking about 115-plus breaches. There's also now talk of Chelsea under the Abramovich era and the dealings that they had, particularly for Willian and Eto. And we've always known that that looked completely dodgy, didn't we? The infrastructure that Abramovich managed to put in place, yes, he supported that club, but the money that was being pumped into it you can't imagine that they have not lost more than 19.5 million. So, why Everton? Why are Everton being made the scapegoat in this situation? Do you think this is a fair punishment? Would you accept a ten-point deduction normally for this?
1: It's it's a, it's an absolute farce, isn't it? Let, let's let's mm. get it right. It's it's one breach is what it is. 19.5 million pound in Premier League terms over three years, not over one year, is a drop mm. in the ocean. So we're talking. Just say, six million pound, six and a half million pound, whatever it might be per season. What does that get you in this day and age? You know, probably, probably Jared Brandt's head. It probably gets you. That's that's probably. What,
0: what did uh, they worry they go to Fulham for?
1: Well, well, there <laughs> we go. Yeah, but you know, it's it's one of those where it's certainly the the punishment doesn't fit the crime. And the yeah. reason why the reason why we say it, I think I think people have looked at the fan reaction, which I'm sure we'll discuss in a minute, and think it's just different fans moaning again. It's not. That's the, the reason why. Is what we've seen, and if we don't even look at what's come out of the commission, let's look at what's happened in the last three years. Mm. Six clubs decided to break away and join a super league, mm. which would have ruined English football as the, the whole pyramid, as yeah. we know it. Now, what happened there is that, that that was that was a major rule breach in the Premier mm. League handbook. There's a major uh, rule breach there. They got farmers was a 22 million pound between them between mm-hmm. them so what's that A- absolutely nothing So three point something million pound each mm-hmm. so what we're saying is how can that kind of breach happen and you say yeah hey, lads it's just over three million pound each don't do it again mm-hmm. though don't do it again oh. I'll tell, tell you exactly why I'll tell you exactly why because those six clubs are the Premier League's brand mm-hmm. they're the clubs that make the money we, we can hold our hands up and say that, that is the case they are the six clubs that are the cash cards of the Premier League. So when it comes to when they're selling the TV rights and things like that around the world, they'll be the six most supported clubs outside of this country. Let's Mm. make no mistake about it. So what they do is the are petrified of protecting the brand. So they give them a slap on the wrist. But for us, what they do is they say, you've had one breach, we're going to take 10 points off you. Well, hang on. That one breach has happened as far as we're concerned. Because we're building a new stadium. Yeah. We were told and we were allowed to to, to basically use the the incest on stadium loan as which, which they then fall outside of the um the run of the club effectively. Yeah. The Premier League then get in touch with us late. So they, they agreed agree with us. The Premier League said, Yeah, you're correct, you're totally right. They got back in touch with Everton in December twenty twenty two and moved the goalposts and said you've got to put that against your losses. So mm-hmm. straight away, they're moving the goalposts just as we're about to refer to a commission. So you can't tell us one thing and say we can yeah. use it and then tell us something else because it suits your agenda. So as far as we're concerned, we're being used as a scapegoat, not only because they won't touch certain other clubs and they're petrified, but they're also very, very scared of an independent regulator coming in, opening a massive, massive Pandora's box, mm. and they do not want that. So everything have been used. As a pawn in a political game. It, it is as simple as that. So yeah. they are petrified of independent regulators. So, they're, so they're, all they're doing is they saying, listen, we can do it all ourselves. Look what we've just done. Everton's lost lost 10 points there because mm. they breached one rule. Look, mm. look, how, look how hard line we are. They're, they're absolutely, honestly, if they were chocolate, they'd eat themselves the Premier League. I tell you.
0: <laughs> it's frustrating as well because that seems commonplace at the moment, this idea of moving the goalposts to suit revenue. I mean, you mentioned earlier that it seems like Newcastle are kind of. Entering into, into that top six conversation. And the Premier League aren't stupid. They're aware that when it comes to global marketing, Newcastle are going to be one of the new clubs that are being pushed. And we're having legislations even this week change that suit them and help them maneuver around financial fair play. The talk is now that Premier League clubs will be able to sign players, even if their owners are the owners of the club they're signing from. And when you see things like that move forward, it does feel like there's more of an injustice towards a club like Everton who are breaching it by such a fine margin, but they're showing other clubs how to do it in the same breath. That's, it's a difficult thing. So I'm a Villa fan and I feel like Everton, Villa, that sort of brand of club are the history of this league and help develop English football into what it is. And now your club's in jeopardy because all right, at the moment, the 10 point deduction has happened. It's very likely you'll appeal and it may get reduced. And from a neutral point of view, this season's not the worst season for you to have a point deduction. There are comfortably three teams worse than you by more than 10 points, if we're honest. But still, then there's ongoing implications. There's talk now that the three relegated teams from last season are looking to take legal action. Who knows what that does to you financially. You're in the middle of a takeover. So what does all of this look like for Everton's future now that it has happened?
1: Um, I think, I mean, in terms of the takeover, you know, seven 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 partners got a lot, lot of bad press. And Mm. and probably rightly so. You know, you look at the stories that come out on a daily basis. I mean, apparently Genoa, you know, one of their clubs, you know, they're trying to renegotiate some kind of debt that they've got with with the Italian government in regards to tax, 106 million euros. If mm-hmm. if they can't sort that out, then potentially the clubs are not on the verge of going bust. So you have these kind of stories; they haven't been well received. In other other clubs, within other clubs, they have been. It's 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 a bit strange. Other clubs uh, mm-hmm. have, have lapped them up and, and actually appreciate them. So it's a it's a bit of a strange setup. But in terms of our takeover, it doesn't impact them taking over. They've, you know they've already they already had a plan in place that if we were found guilty we lost points, etc., etc then it will not impact, it. but I think it might it may may very well lower the price that they get to get the club for. Mm. Um but obviously it's still going through all the, the financial authorities and, and the Premier League as we speak. I think you know sometime in December we should hear what the outcome of that is. But I think obviously in terms of other clubs looking for some for some kind of compensation, I, I think you you go you go and try and prove that um that we've gained any kind of sport advantage and you wouldn't have gone down. Because yeah. Leeds would have gone down anyway. Because three teams get relegated, just because we would have lost points, we would have gone down. Instead, of Leicester You still would have gone down. It makes no mm. difference. So, Absolutely. you know, but there's, there's the, the 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 years we're looking at, I think four out of the two clubs, uh, so two of the four clubs may have some kind of case. I think Burnley and Leicester may be the two, but mm. I think in 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 any kind of course, you've got to prove that you know they, they mentioned a sport and advantage, and that's just that's just the. A standard line some of these, the, the basic. Yeah. Of course. How, how, how do you even prove that? Yeah, I'd, I'd say, I, I'll say, you know, t- to give to give some kind of example. Last season, which wasn't one of the years which is which is yet being used against us. We signed Neil Mope for nearly fourteen million pound. There was no kind of sporting advantage signing Neil Mope, <laughs> the best one in the world. It just wasn't. So mm. how do you even prove that, that that that's the case? So and what we're saying is, any kind of breach is to do with. Off the field stuff, and it's to do with mainly the stadium. And you've moved mm. the goalposts, you changed the rules when we thought it was okay, and we've submitted, we've submitted our, our mm. accounts to you anyway. So how can, how can it, even, it even stack up? And that's that's the big issue, you know. So, but these when, when you've got, you know, independent panels which aren't independent, When you've got somebody who used to act on behalf of Leeds United, who's, who's on the independent panel. When you've got someone who, who used to be the finance director at West Ham United during the Carlos Tevez and Mascherano affair. Yeah. Where's the independence there? There is none. Yeah. The Premier yeah. League appoint them. So it, can be, it cannot be the Premier League who, who are conducting this commission, but they appoint the people. And now what they're saying is the same people are going to decide whether these clubs are going to have compensation and what it's going to be. How does that even make any kind of sense? That The Premier yeah. League... There's no independence about what they're doing whatsoever. And this is what I mean. This is why they're so scared of other people coming in and saying, listen, we're going to oversee all this now because they know there's so many skeletons in the closets, probably of most clubs to be fair, but also the Premier League because the Newcastle, the Newcastle situation, you know, the government told the Premier League to authorise that because it looks great for Saudi and UK relations because, because it was, first of all, it was knocked back and rightly so. So, it's all these little things where people think that, you know, football, it's not tainted. Of course, it's it's, it's a massive money business. So, yeah. of course, it's there's corruption in there. You've seen enough documentaries about corruption around world football, within yeah. FIFA, you know, within the, the Italian leagues. If you think it doesn't happen in this country, then, you know, get your head out of the sand. Because, of course, it does. You know, and mm. you have to see Mike Dean saying about how he protected Anthony Taylor in that Chelsea Spurs match when he was on VAR. You yeah.
2: know.
1: That, what What is that? You know, it just, it, the whole thing stinks. And as far as we're concerned, we are the four guys for the Premier yeah. League in this game with, with the with the regulators. But the future for Everton, you know, we're hoping, we're, we're trying to look forward to, to Bramley Moor. What, mm. what a spectacle, what a sight. You know, mm. it's, we're probably around 12 months away from, yeah. from getting in there. Um, but there's a lot of things for us to go through as a club before then, including... Yeah. The Appeal will be lodged before Friday. It's the appeal's going in, no, make no yeah. mistake about that. Yeah, uh, again, the Premier League are going to appoint another independent panel, so so nice of them to uh, so appoint some more independent people that they're all friends with. Mm. Um, so that's going to happen. Obviously, the takeover, potential compensation claims, listen, fan process. Listen, Sunday's going to be loud at some Park, Sunday's no, going to be it. live. So, whoever's watching this. Make sure you turn your televisions on Sunday before half past four because it's going to be a spectacle. Of half doesn't matter what you try and do. You want to want to turn the sound down. You want to play some kind some kind of a canned laughter or go have some kind of technical difficulties. We'll get our message out. Don't you worry about that.
0: Yeah, and it's it's a great platform for it as well. You're getting Man United at a really interesting time as well, yeah. but. So on the field, obviously you've moved into the relegation zone at the moment with the points deduction, and it felt like things were starting to click this season. There's been some much better performances of late. How have you found the start of the season in football in terms, and and what do you make of Deich's impact? Now he's kind of had a whole preseason with the club as well.
1: We were disappointed, you know, initially with with, with the, the start of the season. You know, losing the home to Fulham and and against Wolves. You know, went to Villa, you know, Villa turned us over. And, you know, Villa, Villa are a good side, you know. But then we've gone there later <laughs> on and, won the, and and beat them in the Carabao Cup and looked good yeah. doing it, you know. Mm. So I think the start of the season, when when you're losing those games at home, not so much Villa away and, and you know, you're, you're losing to, to Luton, you know, only only a couple of months ago, really. And you started thinking Jesus Christ, we, we haven't got a bad start on paper and we just mm. can't seem to get any kind of points. But what, what, we, what we could see was... There was improvements in the performance. We were creating chance after chance after chance, and it just it just wouldn't go in the back of the net. And obviously, Dominic Calvert-Lewin gets himself back fit, comes in. We get more. You know, um, Dwight McNeil gets himself back fit. We're getting players coming back. You know, over the last sort of couple of months or so, and that's when it really clicked. And and you can see we've got a plan. You know, in every game that we've approached. You know, outside of the, the games mentioned. Arsenal at home. Arsenal are a very, very good side. You know, we lost the game one nil, but Everton didn't really lay a glove on them like we did in Sean Dice's first game. Mm. The Merseyside derby ruined by the officials yet again. You know, <laughs> we could have stood all day about that. But <laughs> well, we've been in pretty much every game this season. To be mm. honest with you, we've been we've been competitive. We, we we're disappointed we haven't got you know we we, we should have. 14 points obviously they've taken 10 off us but we should have I think in a round probably 18 19 points would have been a fair reflection so we're, we're happy in terms of what we've seen you know we've won six out of nine in, mm. in all competitions which is a really impressive run um, mm. as I say we went to Villa in the Carabao Cup and, and looked good with it with you know, getting that 2-1 win we've mm. beaten Bournemouth at home we've gone to Palace and one we've gone to West Ham and one we've gone to Brentford and one Isn't it, it, it's a good it's a good sort of showing I think from Everton from Sean Dyche He's got the players playing a particular way, and it's not just a case of, "Oh, let's go long, let's be difficult to beat." We create chances, and at times we play good football, but we're efficient and we're effective, and we know what we're good at as well. And and Sean Dice, to be fair to him, he's got the players fit, he's got the players fagging, and he looked like the the real, a real United group.
0: Yeah, I think it's funny. Sean Dice obviously gets this reputation of kind of being that firefighter, the the manager who likes long wall football and a very typical British manager. Actually, I think what he is is just pragmatic and he knows how to get the best out of what he's got. And it's a difficult time for Everton in terms of their investment. Obviously, we saw them have to cash in on players like Anthony Gordon, Richarlison the year before, and there's not much to throw back into the squad. But what he's done is kind of manipulate what he already had. And you've got someone like Abdelai Decoré all of a sudden in this advanced role and providing the goal for it. Now, not really what I'd have expected of a midfielder of his kind of ilk in the past. So, it, are you interested by where the progression of this side can go? What are you actually aiming for this season, both pre and post the deduction?
1: Yeah, I think we all thought before the season kicked off that, you know, we're going to be in the around maybe 13, 14 would have been probably satisfactory based on the fact that, you know, we went into the last game of the season last season and the season mm. before, second to last game of the season to so stay up. So I think yeah. if you said 13th to 14th, you would have accepted that. I think after seeing the last, last sort of few weeks or so, everyone was starting to think, well, you know what? There's no reason why we can't get closer to mid-table again, maybe 10th, 11th. Because the, I think that, you know, the, the sort of maybe seven, eight teams, I think, and I, I'd, I'd include Villa, Villa, Newcastle, Spurs, Liverpool, City, Arsenal, Tottenham, United are probably the 80. You'd say they're going to fight, I think, for for... Europe, those European spaces. I, I think below that, obviously Brighton's, probably in Brentford, ninth, tenth. I think anywhere below there, up for grabs, up for grabs. And it might not it might sound like much, sort of a, not much of a target. But I think when you've been through what we've been through in recent times, it, that I think mid tables a real target for this side, and no reason why we couldn't pip a Brentford to to um, to get in the top half. So I would think that that was that would have been a good aim given where we, where we were before the international break. I think now I still think we can still sort of finish 15, 16th and not have to go into, into the last few weeks of the season. But I, I still think the back of my mind sort of says, we're going to get some points back. We'll, mm. we'll get five points back, you know, four or five points back because there's not, there's just no way on this earth that with all the, the, the mitigating factors that were ignored by the commission, the fact that, you know, what, what they've used and, you know, they, they've used basically the Sheffield Wednesday example within the EFL, mm-hmm. um, which was similar, but their breach was effectively more, given what the the championship's figure yeah. was, but around right, right, £80 million, pounds, yeah. something like that. It was a lot less than yeah. the Premier League, and, yeah, and they, cool. they breached it by a hell of a lot more in percentage terms. And they got 10 points taken off them and got given five back. But the funny thing was, and I, I know you probably view as a sick of me rant about this, but... It, it it just it rang with me so much. They actually made um the Premier League said to the commission, but well, what we you know, this is what we've got. We think it should be five points from the off as a deduction, and then every four million pound over the hundred and five million pounds should be another point. So that would have that would have meant ten points. So the commission went, We're independent, we can't take your advice on this, go away. The commission took ten points off us. <laughs> so and they've used, they've used a template which is only for Everton and will never be used again. By the way, as yeah. well, so all these little things when it comes to our appeal will be will be brought up. But Everton should still have, I, I think, aims of finishing, as I say, well above the the bottom three in terms of points. I yeah. do think we will, we will get some points back, and there's no reason why we can't sort of be around sort of 15th maybe, maybe, maybe a touch higher, because I think the standard of you know the Premier League and those those sides near the bottom is not particularly good.
0: Mm well Mike maybe we can talk at the end of the season and see where you are <laughs> I, I hope for your sake and, and, and all Everton fans who have had a pretty difficult time over the last couple of years that this appeal might be a bit more successful for you and we get some some fairness back in the Premier League but until then we're going to move on in part two to look at the international break uh, Mike thank you so much for joining us again hopefully we can uh, have a better conversation soon
1: yeah no problem at all good luck for the season as well
0: Ah, <laughs> you too mate you too So, Mike, it was good for us to get an Everton fan's perspective and we thank the Unholy Trinity podcast for joining us earlier. What have you made of the issue around Everton right now and the points deduction? Do you think that this is a fair punishment for them? Well, it's fascinating to
2: hear an Everton fan's take on it, first of all, because I think most neutral fans' first reaction is, what about? And we point the finger at Man City, point the finger at Chelsea Mm. and go, well, You know They've been under scrutiny as well. And obviously with Manchester City, the amount of charges against them is huge. So it begs the question, how many points will they get deducted if Everton get 10? So that aside, we've got to kind of separate the two, haven't we? And go, well, Mm City's is a little bit more complex because each of the issues is relating to um, things that are alleged against them that are hard to prove. Whereas with Everton's, they've almost held their hands up and gone, that's the issue. That's what we've done. I think they blamed um, on the Richarlison transfer and him being valued at 80 million yeah. pounds and Spurs not paying the 80. I don't know what world they believe that Richarlison was ever worth 80 million, but I think the mm-hmm. Premier League have come down harder on them because they didn't mm-hmm. kind of fully disclose the reasons why they were overspending yeah. by as much as they were. So yeah, it is kind mm-hmm. of harsh. I think if Everton were probably a little bit more upfront sooner, it would have got away with a, a smaller penalty. But I do think they will appeal it. They naturally will. And it will get yeah. reduced down, I think, from from the 10. But teams in the Football League will, will say this is commonplace for them. You know How many teams have been relegated in the Championship League one and below just because of yeah. this same kind of issue? It's just because it's the yeah. Premier League. It's kind of a bit of a shock to us, really, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it's interesting to see how they respond when they come back this weekend. Because we're used to the international break now, aren't we?
2: Yeah, that's uh, a yeah, nice segue, actually. The international break... Um, <laughs> Aside from the drama of what's going on at Everton, the international break has actually been not that great for for England fans, has it? And I think the two games we've played against Malta and North Macedonia, we expect more as England fans, don't we? We want to see more, I don't know, flair, more players stepping up. But I can kind of get why England haven't gone full throttle in these two games, can't you? Because the time of the season it is, you don't want to pick up an injury. Any players that are playing just want to see the games out because there's nothing to play for. A few players got given a start and we're experimented with so i think we've seen all we expected to see from england and any fireworks that uh, we might have expected especially alongside the likes of the france game against gibraltar i don't think we're ever going to come in that kind of way but yeah. what's your take on the way england were in these two games what did we learn is it how you expected england to kind of play um into pretty meaningless games really what, what's your thoughts mate
0: Yeah, I think we learned a few things. I think, for example, in in the North Barcelona game, we saw that Rico Lewis stepped up really well. I think the penalty decision against him was obviously quite harsh, but this is a player that obviously has a massive future with England and we're really uncertain in that left-back position. Now, we all imagine that Luke Shaw will be back for the Euros and playing very well. I think it, there's a chance that he's even back this weekend from what I've heard. So, it'd be good to see his reintroduction. But Rico Lewis, obviously, was probably the real winner of the break. Generally speaking, I don't really know what you expected from this international break because I feel like it's a lose-lose situation for Southgate. You mm. kind of... You, you've already qualified. There's not much of a, an issue at hand. So what do you do? Do you play your best your best side who know each other well, try and batter teams and risk picking up injuries? Or do you take your foot off the gas a little bit, put in a professional performance, which I think this is, try a few things out without trying too much? Because, all right, you could say, change all 11 names. What's the point in that? Those players are never going to play together. So yeah, I, I think he treated it like a training camp a little bit. And that's probably not an issue. I think if you remember when we went into the World Cup last year, we had a couple of games just before that where people were panicking and that Nations League performance where all of a sudden it was England have fallen apart. We did fairly well at the World Cup, I think. I don't think anyone remembered those fixtures when we were underway in the tournament. So yeah, I wouldn't panic by anything from this by any stretch.
2: No, I've seen a few overreactions to people saying that Southgate is just not suitable for the role anymore. I think that all comes down to how we play in in the Euros, to be fair. We're there, aren't we? We've kind of we're unbeaten in this calendar year, which is, you know, quite rare for England too. Yeah. I think it's only the fourth year that's ever happened. So you kind of just yeah. have to sort of say there's not many countries in as comfortable as position as we are. Um, so, I think we've earned the right to kind of experiment. at Southgate has to an extent. Um, and I think yeah. the experiment's paid off. You're right. Rico Lewis was a, an eye opener. Um, obviously, Cole Palmer earned his opportunity as well. I thought he acquitted himself mm. really well. Even Jack Grealish at the minute feels like an experiment because he doesn't get much game time. But one thing yeah. I want to ask you about is Ollie Watkins and, and his impact yeah. for England. It's a difficult one for him. It was quite isolated, wasn't he?
0: Yeah, he was. And that's not really how you want to see Watkins play. And I don't think his. Chances of playing at the Euros will hang on this fixture by any, by any uh, reasonable kind of thinking. And his form in the league is really what's going to dictate who's the backup to Kane. And it's such a difficult job. We saw this at Spurs for so many years. Being the person who knows you're not going to start unless Harry Kane's injured. Well, you're only going to get the odd opportunity here and there. And being expected to pick up the full pace of a whole team. In those moments, it is really hard. He's consistently Aston Villa's main man. So, of course, he has time to build up his form, play his way into the team and get those connections. He hasn't really had that at England. So, can you judge much on 60 minutes against North Macedonia? Well, no, of course you can't. It'll be interesting to see whether he's done enough in the training sessions to really cement his place in the squad. Because, obviously, we know Ivan Tony's due back. Callum Wilson's injured at the moment, but who knows where he'll find himself. Even Calvert-Lewin's been in better form. So that understudy role is still there. I think it's Watkins for now. I yeah. can't see why not. I don't think that this game does anything to detract from that. I just wish he'd had a bit more of an opportunity and perhaps play the first game as well. And then we might have seen a bit more of a settled performance in the second. Yeah. Well, to- putting aside the performances, because I don't think there's
2: anything to write him yeah. about. And it's not really worth digging into too much about how players play, for example. there. are there's now debate about who should start, what kind of system England should play. So let me open that conversation to you. Thinking about England's <laughs> first game at the Euros, without trying to second yeah. guess what Gareth Southgate would do, what kind of England lineup would you pick? What's your starting eleven, do you think, for the Euros in your head at the minute, based on what you've seen? Let's let's break it down all the way through the, the eleven okay. players, mate.
0: Sure. Okay. So I think you and I will both agree on the goalkeeper. I think it has to be Pickford still. I think obviously Ramsdale was knocking on that door, but his lack of action at club level right now means Southgate's never going to go against someone that he clearly trusts. And Pickford is a great tournament player because he's mm. always up for it. I think I think it's undoubtable that he will be the goalkeeper. You agree? Yeah, I think so.
2: There's a few goalkeepers obviously in the mix, but in terms of consistency and quality, his street's ahead, I think. But it's the defence yeah. for me that I think is the, the main question mark about what formation will play. Sometimes mm. play with a back three. What blend of centre backs, for example? You know, mm. who's he going to pick as the left-sided centre back? So, what have you gone mm. for, mate?
0: There's potential for you and I to argue here, isn't there? <laughs> I think we've got very different opinions on this. I would stick with quite a traditional back four for England. Kyle Walker at right back. His big game experience is huge for us and his recovery pace is absolutely essential. Definitely someone that I'd like there. And then when you're defending, if you want to move to a back three, we know he can slot in at that right side of centre back, which suits one of my midfielders that I'll come to later. It has to be John Stones for all of the good work he can do moving forward up the pitch. He's undoubtedly England's best central defensive player. So I want him in that centre back role. Harry Maguire goes alongside him for me. I think we've seen him come back into the United team, pick up some really good form and continue to be reliable for England. I know that he has plenty of people that try and take away from his game and, and kind of judge him quite harshly, but I stand by he's never let England down in a tournament. And I, I think he, he brings so much to that England side. Leadership, the aerial quality, both defensively and going forward. For me, I think he's done enough to earn his place in the Euros. And providing his fit, Luke Shaw has to be the left-back, doesn't he? He's he's clearly England's best left-back. Well, I think that's the major area of concern, isn't it, left-back and the
2: fitness of of Shaw. Um, Chilwell's obviously a miss. Obviously, he played with Rico Lewis there in the last game. So, yeah, that's still not the strongest position for us if Shaw's not (laughs) Samori as well.
0: Samori featured at left-back, didn't he, in the first game, which I like as as an experiment to say, OK, what have I got within the squad that I can use? But he, he, he surely won't start games there.
2: No. Well, that's the kind of sort of square peg, round hole thing I don't want to have mm. with England. So for me, yeah. I would definitely avoid sort of propelling players out of position to that extent. But um, my back four is, yeah, slightly different to yours because I it's all based on the premise of kind of flexibility tactically. And I want John Stones to play in a deep midfield role like he does for City occasionally. Yeah. So taking yeah. him out of the defence, suddenly centre back looks quite different. So, at right centre-back, I would put Kyle Walker, just because of his recovery pace, with Trippier to the right of him as the actual right-back. Left centre-back, it depends on the running and whether Maguire is in better form than Levi Cole will. But either one of those two, I think, would slot nicely in that position, mm. depending on form. And, of course, yeah, Luke Shaw as the, the left-sided defender, if he's fit, because the drop-off from Shaw at the minute is is quite big, isn't it? Mm. But the defence is yeah. it's, it's definitely a back four for me, I think is the strongest. What about in terms of the with midfield that, in front of them? Do you think?
0: Before I ask that, can I just ask you: with the oh. back four, do you think Walker suits that kind of system enough? Because I think if you're looking at flexibility, what you're you're essentially saying there is you're going to find John Stones coming out of that midfield and taking the central role off Walker really often, aren't you?
2: Yeah, well, I'm kind of preempting against different opposition. That sure. And Trippier, in this situation, will be going mm. forward sometimes. So, Stones could drop into a back three if they were to go too far mm. forward. So, it's that kind of shift between attacking down the wings or attacking down the middle or protecting the defence from from Stones' positioning that might be important. Because yeah. another thing in the midfield I don't want to do is commit Declan Rice as a holding midfielder. He's great as box yeah. to box. And I don't want to have him too deep. And also, I don't want Calvin Phillips in there either. So, that's my reasoning <laughs> for
0: that, that kind of particular Fair.
2: decision. But What would you Mm. say midfield then?
0: So mine is similar with the logic of how did that transition from attack to defence. And I actually put Trent into the midfield for that exact reason. Because then if when you're defending, you do need to move to a back three, Walker can be that right-sided centre-back then of a back three. And Trent can slot back into Mm right-back if Bellingham drops slightly deeper. Because obviously Bellingham is our advanced midfielder. I think we'll both agree on that. And then Rice would play alongside Trent. It, it does mean that you rely on Rice to do more of the defensive work. But let's be honest, the way that England play is so different to Arsenal. You're not really expecting Declan Rice to be a progressive ball-playing midfielder always. He will be the one that's kind of there to break up the play. And he does that really, really well for England. The only caveat to that team is if Calvin Phillips moves in January. Because if, if if Phillips does get good amounts of game time between now and the Euros, I have no qualms about picking him because I do think he's a very talented holding midfielder. I've got a slight suspicion that if City aren't kind of too worried about being burnt by this, we could see a situation where Thomas Partey gets his move to Saudi Arabia. And Arsenal go knocking for Calvin Phillips in January. And then him and Rice get that partnership anyway. I think he's the perfect yeah. player for Arsenal right now. Because at the moment, Jorginho is kind of occupying that space. And that's a very different kind of holding midfielder. So yeah. that wouldn't surprise me to see Phillips get a move somewhere, at least, where he's going to get mm-hmm. some game time. And then maybe he comes back into the thinking. But for now, I really like the idea of Trent playing in that midfield. Because his, his passing range is so phenomenal. We know that. And yeah getting him in that England side would be excellent without having to rely on his defensive skills because England would be burnt by that,
2: inevitably. Yeah, I like the idea of Trenton in midfield. And I think he did equip himself well whenever he's played there. And my reason for having him is just his distribution and his his passing and his vision is so good. But I think if you've got Trippier Mm. at right back, that's kind of taken care of from a set-piece point of view as well. We're always pretty dangerous at set-pieces and we have been since Southgate's been in charge. So I think it's either Trippier or Alexander-Arnold to kind of fulfil that role. But no, I think the the flexibility that offers is pretty useful too. Uh, I think we're both going for Bellingham as the number 10. He's just the standout out world-class candidate, isn't he?
0: Yeah, it's it's phenomenal how far he's come even this season in the move to Madrid. Look at players like Camavinga, Chouameni. They both went over to Madrid and, of course, can perform at very high levels, but took some time to find their, their feet in that True. side, whereas Bellingham went over there and just owned the Bernabeu. So we know that in these big games, that's the player you want to turn to. And I hope that England don't hold him back. I hope he he can play that number 10 role. They don't try and play him deeper. Because I know he can play deeper. But Mm -hmm. look at the goal-scoring threat he is. And it takes so much pressure off Harry Kane if there's two threats like that in the middle of the park. So, yeah, absolutely has to be him for me. Well, I think Kane's the kind of
2: forward that can drop deeper. And that would allow Bellingham to kind of go past him and and be in that central position as a goal-scoring threat. So... I think that's a real option in terms of versatility as well. And I think that's what I want to see from England players that are in the best positions that they play for for their clubs quite often, but also yeah. can, can switch and swap as well. And that's kind of my reasoning for having the wingers that I've picked. I've got Foden as my left-sided player, which is quite open for debate. I just love for him as a player yeah. in terms of the way he carries the ball, especially. And there's yeah. some interplays that we did have in these last two games, which were quite impressive and involved you know, some intricate passing. And he's very, really good at that when he's in tight spaces. And on the right, Saka. I think it's a no-brainer,
0: really. Yeah, Yeah, Saka's one of the first names on the team sheet, isn't he, if we're honest? What he brings going forward is so electric and and unpredictable at times. And Mm -hmm. defenders really struggle to contain him. That's an excellent threat. But also, his work rate and his defensive capabilities mean that he's a perfect support for someone like Kyle Walker, who does bomb further forward. So that's a no-brainer. The left side, I've gone different. I've gone Grealish, And yeah, maybe you'll tell me I'm biased. But I do think that the development of his game under Guardiola, regardless of the fact that we haven't seen as much of him this season as we may would have, have liked, actually makes him a more suitable England player now because he does think more about the team. It's not all about what he can bring to the table. He fits right. into a system far better. And actually, I think, again, he would support Luke Shaw far better than maybe Phil Foden would. He knows how to link with his fullback. And Shaw's real strength going forward is that overlapping run. And Grealish has been taught to look for that consistently at Man City, whereas Foden is a bit more of a maverick that kind of wants to carry the ball around in different spaces. And I'm not sure how well that's suited to England's game yet. I never really feel like we've seen the best of Phil Foden in an England shirt yet. Whereas I feel like Grealish is probably the player that I would want to rely on more in a tournament, if that makes sense. Yeah, that figures. I think on the left
2: side as well, I think Dave's also mentioned when we were talking about it that obviously Marcus Rashford is someone that's kind of admired by Gareth Southgate. And that all depends on what kind of final part of the season he has for Manchester United as well, because he's not been anywhere near top four. I don't think, this season, like many Manchester United players. And I think that's another key thing that we're playing players in the Euros that are on form and there's a lot still to be decided. There's a lot of football to play until the Euros kick off. So yeah, it still leaves it wide open for debate in that respect, doesn't
0: it? Yeah, who are we kidding? Let's be honest. Rashford's starting on the left in the Southgate's first team and Henderson Henderson's gonna be in the middle, isn't it? So I don't know why we're even talking about it.
2: I was gonna say, this is like blue sky thinking for me and you as England fans. Um, hoping to see, you know, a balanced team. I think both of our teams are really balanced and we've got kind of good reasons for picking certain players. But I do worry I mean, about what I mean, Gareth Southgate might do as a safety first option.
0: And we're both going Watkins number nine though, yeah?
2: Didn't mention number nine, I just assumed it was a given that it was Harry Kane, mate, to be honest. But what? Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> um so yeah, that's that's England. Interesting to hear what other people's take on on what they would pick as um the formation as well. I mean, we've gone for like a rough four three three, and I think all three midfielders yeah. would picked to fairly balanced. You've got different roles being catered for within that midfield from the players we've picked. Yeah. It's not a flat midfield three by any means, is it? So that would mm. be an interesting ingredient. But uh, moving yeah. on to another team that aren't going to be at the Euros, unfortunately, uh, next year yet, um, is Wales. They are into the playoffs and the unpredictability of that. And before this round of international fixtures, it was in their hands entirely. You know, If they beat Armenia, they go into this final game against Turkey um, in a really strong position. But they didn't beat Armenia, um, not for the first time. And both teams were gutted to draw that game because it didn't benefit either of them. So they went to this final game against Turkey Leaving to win, but also results for the Croatia game to go their way. And it just didn't happen. So, mm. gutting for the Welsh team. Um, I think all it takes, do you think, to actually come through this playoffs? Because it's so unpredictable, isn't it? And the Euro qualification this, this year is mad, isn't it? We've got a team in there with one point in qualifying in, I think it's Estonia, isn't it? Yet they're in yeah. the playoffs based on their Nations League performance. So it's really unpredictable, <laughs> isn't it?
0: Yeah, when you said it's unpredictable who's going to get through, I was going to say, yeah, mainly because I, I still don't really know if I understand how the playoffs are working this year. <laughs> it's funny, you and I have been doing a football podcast for however many years now, and are both quite nerdy about football, and it took both of us sitting down for half an hour trying to work out who was even in the playoffs at this yeah. point. It's It's an absolute mess. So from what I can tell, Wales will play Ukraine, I believe, and then probably Poland which is an incredibly hard run, if we're honest. That's the, two of the teams you'd want to avoid in that, in that kind of setting. Uh, particularly Ukraine at the moment, I think they were really unfortunate to miss out on automatic qualification. Obviously, they had a, a last chance penalty denied against Italy that probably probably should have taken them through. But here we are. So Wales, it's it's difficult to know what to expect from Wales, mainly because I don't know whether Rob Page is a good coach or not still. Mm. Because there, was, there were times in this qualifying campaign where it looked like he was going to get the sack. And then the last international break just pulled a master stroke out and, like, completely turned around Wales' chances and was quite brave, like, left Brennan Johnson out of the side and, like, just let the team perform. Because they yeah. are looking to rebuild, remember. We're moving on from the days of Joe Allen, even Aaron Ramsey, to a degree, although he's still in the squad when fit, and, of course, Gareth Bale. And there's a lot of talent in that Wales side coming through still. And... <sighs> I feel like if I was a Wales fan, I would be optimistic about the squad that is building. But I think it might have come just a little bit too soon for them off the back of that kind of rebuild situation. And I'm not sure Rob Page is necessarily equipped to take them quite as far as they've gone before. It's a really unfortunate situation with Wales, isn't it? And it would be really nice to see them at the tournament. But bear in mind, we've got one coming to the United Kingdom very, very soon. Yeah. I have no doubt that Wales will be quite will be stronger by then, absolutely, because some of the talent they've got in that squad is it is brilliant, really. Well, that's what I was going to say, that the
2: new wave of players coming through, I think have actually performed pretty well. And obviously, Nico Williams, yeah. obviously, with his goal as well, which was really well taken. You mentioned Brennan Johnson, who I think will be a key figure for them. And, uh, yeah. you know, they need key figures. They're replacing a team of, of players that had two or three key figures that carried them through to tournaments and uh, latter stages yeah. of tournaments previously. Yeah. And I think these are the kind of players we look out for, isn't it, in the next couple of years? And if they do qualify, what a stage for them to kind of take.
0: Yeah, it would be incredible. And I think there's so many like nice stories within the Wales camp as well. Like you look at like David Brooks, like amazing yeah. to see him back in that squad and really playing incredibly well. So yeah, we all want Wales to be there if we're totally honest. And there seems to be a real love affair with football these days and obviously the the kind of spirit that they brought to every international tournament that we've seen them at over the last 15 years, shows the value of having them around. And it's really unfortunate that it felt like they got it back in their hands only to throw it away. We, It's such a shame, really. Yeah,
2: that's true. Anyway, I'm not going to milk the international uh, week anymore because there's, to be honest, not many other highlights to to discuss. So I want to look ahead, if we can, before we go, just on the Premier League weekend that's coming up. Can't wait for it to return. Um, Obviously, there's a small narrative there for Everton to try and bounce back from their now relegation threatened position against Manchester United which will be interesting to watch and how they adapt to that There's a couple of other games I'm really excited for one of them involves your boys Aston Villa they're playing Tottenham and I think obviously Manchester yep. Liverpool is the early Saturday kickoff too so which one yeah. is the highlight for you do you think come on do you even have to <laughs> ask me <laughs> they're I all just good can't though, wait
0: it I can't wait for us to find whatever Spurs le- have left as a defence after their suspensions and injuries that yeah. they've picked up over the last few weeks. Uh, that, obviously, I'm really excited to see Unai Emery's Aster Villa again. That's the problem with international breaks at the moment. It takes Emery Ball away from me for a little while. So, <laughs> yeah, while I'm talking about Villa, can I just give a mention and link it back into the international break to Emmy Martinez? So obviously argentina played brazil last night and there was a mad commotion in the stands where brazilian police were being very brutal if we're totally honest Mm -hmm. to argentina fans there's there's photographs and videos and horrible scenes there fans are covered in blood from this interaction horrible martinez proper man of the people runs straight to the crowd jumps up to where the, the seating area is, and he's pulling police officers off the off the Argentina fans. Like the spirit of that guy. Like there's a reason Villa fans love him so much, and Argentina fans absolutely adore him as well. I just wanted to give him a quick mention. It'd be good to see him back. Um, but in terms of Premier League fixtures, obviously you mentioned Man City, Liverpool. That that might be the top two come the end of the season. We don't know so, the way that yeah. they're playing right now. So that's a really important fixture. And Spurs-Villa could be a shootout for the top four as well. So this feels like a really pivotal part of the season because you've had that break for squads to refresh. It looks like Villa are going to have Alex Moreno and possibly Ramsey back fit as well. So that's really helpful for them. And they've got to really kick on before that Christmas run in now. I'm really interested by this weekend because you never know what to expect off the back of an international break. But we're in, the, we're in the deep end with these fixtures, right? What about you? I, what are you looking forward to?
2: Well, I've no idea what to expect with Man United, Everton. Uh, it feels like we always of face course. a team that's that's up against it. We always face teams that have just lost the manager and got a new one in, like this new manager bounce. That's really annoying. But for me, I'm looking forward to Newcastle, Chelsea. If I'm honest, yeah, that's
0: I forgot that was on. Yeah, there you yeah. go. This is a great. This is a brilliant. Think, round it's of going to be a
2: great is, weekend. It? Yeah, I think Chelsea are on the up, and I'm keen to see if they can continue that momentum, even though we've had the international break. And Newcastle are struggling yeah. for injuries badly. Um, Even though they're at home, which will make a massive difference, how Chelsea will adapt and overcome that um, and maybe even get a win out of this game would be amazing because if they could beat Newcastle, that would be such a momentum driver for them. So, yeah, that one for me is is one to watch.
0: They've had a rotten run of fixtures, really, Chelsea, but managed to play very well in most of them, if not all. So they need that statement win, really, don't they? It would be a massive place to get it at the moment. And Newcastle, like you say... Complete doing this. I think Alexander Isak's going to be their only fit forward player. Wow! wow. And we, we we remember the scenes at the end of their last game when Kieran Trippy is being confronted by the fans after they lost to Bournemouth, and he's mm. he's played into it. think about the injuries we've got, and it doesn't seem like it's got much better over the break. So yeah, that could be an interesting one. Don't forget as well. You talk about what, not knowing what to right. expect from the Man United game. The most informed team in the league. <laughs>
2: I'm not reading anything into that, mate, to be honest. If you dissect each of those wins, there's (laughs) nothing there that makes you get excited about Manchester United at the minute. So I would thoroughly expect Everton to batter us, to be honest, based on that evidence. But we'll see.
0: Do you know know when people say that the league table doesn't lie or stats don't lie? But those two stats in particular really, really lie.
2: Okay, mate, you're really digging in now, aren't you? And uh, applying <laughs> soul to the Sorry. wound. Jeez, yeah, we're bad. I've so been talking to an Everton
0: fan and you're about to play him, so I've got to, I've got to keep my long
2: <laughs> Very true. To be honest, how Everton respond will be interesting too. But um, yeah. yeah, really appreciate um, your time today. Um, we'll have Dave back next week. Fingers crossed he's actually not feeling too great at the minute. But yeah, an interesting week of Premier League football to look forward to next time we talk. We're a little bit late this week just to try and soak in all of the international fixtures, really, and... Uh, Trying yeah. to you know accommodate all of that into our chat, but we'll be back at our normal time and uploaded at our normal time next week. Uh, until then, though, mate, enjoy the weekend. Speak to you soon.
0: Thanks, mate. See, See you later.
2: After.